From Jerusalem, Israel, this is From the Midwest to the Middle East, the podcast that explores everything new in U.S. and Israeli economy. Here's your host, Philip Stein. I'm really pleased to be having this podcast today. First of all, this episode is brought to you by Philip Stein and Associates, the largest U.S. CPA firm in Israel, providing U.S. tax services to Israelis, Americans, corporations, startups, and anyone else needing them. Hi, everybody. Today I have a special guest. All my guests are special, but Net Jacobson is, I feel, really unique. He's a co founder and partner at Spark. Labs Global Ventures. He is a former Facebook executive, entrepreneur, and investor with vast international experience from many pioneering companies. Net started out in Sweden at Ericsson Mobile Communications, now Sony Ericsson, in 1998 with the user interface design, but then moved into different startup products, business development, and marketing roles. In Israel, Net led international business for ICQ AOL and then joined the Chinese browser company Maxton in 2005 as a partner and SVP. Net put Maxton on the world map and brought in CRV and Google as investors. Today, Maxton has over 1 billion downloads. Net has also partnered Sparks Labs as startup accelerator in Seoul, Korea. Welcome, Net. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. It's great, and you have a very interesting uh, wor- work and career history, so I think this, uh, my listeners are going to learn a lot today. But let's start with your latest venture, your newest venture, uh, which is sure. Sparks Global Fund. Tell us about it, what makes it different and, and unique. Yeah, so actually, I mean, uh, we started a fund around two years ago, and um, I was basically after, you know, after my big job at Facebook and then as a short stint as a CEO, uh, I've been exposed to a lot of uh, startups around the world and I was always the international guy who traveled and connected with people elsewhere and, uh, you know, was an advisor to a bunch of companies and I saw that they're great entrepreneurs everywhere in the world but not necessarily great investors. And uh, I shared more or less the same uh, the same uh, feeling uh, with a couple of friends of mine, uh, a partner uh, who is now a partner co-founder in Sparklabs Global Ventures, Frank Meehan. Frank and I started to work on the different sides of the table when I was at Facebook, and we did our first big mobile deal for Facebook back in the day. And he was then representing uh, Li Kai-Ching Horizon Ventures. Li Kai-Ching invested $120 million into Facebook. And so that's how we got to know each other. And uh, he worked for Horizon Ventures, later invested in the company that I led in here in Israel, Ginger Software. He joined my board. And one year later, both of us say, listen, you know, we want to build, help entrepreneurs build companies globally. So we started to talk about separately, oh, you know, maybe setting up a global seed fund. Um, and... Um, a year prior to that, I, I started becoming a mentor to a, an accelerator that had just started in Seoul uh, called Spark Labs Accelerator. And so I was traveling quite back a couple of times a year back and forth to Korea to mentor. And um, my partner there, Frank, um, uh, who, who actually was the co-founder of Spark Labs Accelerator in Seoul, uh, is, is a Korean-American based in Silicon Valley called Bernard Moon. And Bernard and I go back like since 2006 and we you know I've been keeping contacts over the years and coincidentally when I was in Seoul and uh, mentoring I think the second time he said hey listen we have some companies here that really have global quality and we they are they want to go move over to the US and we think we need you know we're thinking about setting up a global fund would you help us to do that 
And so I basically bought Frank Meehan, who's based in London, and, and Bernard and the other partners based in, in Seoul and Singapore together and said, hey, let's, let's do this together. Let's raise a separate global fund uh, where the goal is basically uh, to, to invest in good companies at the early stage, seed stage, wherever they happen to be, doesn't matter. Uh, and then obviously we had a couple of them already coming out of Seoul uh, that was an early success, so we had a kind of Korean, Korean angle. Um, but there are two different uh, funds. The first fund is the focused on, on accelerating Korea only. And there we do like two demo days, two batches a year. And we, I just came back literally like three days ago from, from a week where we had our seventh demo day there. And uh, with over 2,000 attendees, a very, very big 400 investors, mass, massive uh, operation. Um, but the Global is a separate fund. It's a $20 million fund. Um, and like I mentioned, we've been around for a little bit over two years. And we're kind of wrapping up the first fund and preparing to raise for the second one, which will be a significant bigger. Um, but it has been an amazing journey. Uh, we are all in back, you know, all our backgrounds are really, we are all entrepreneurs. Uh, been having these different roles in international companies as well. And uh, so, so we move a lot move around a lot in the different hubs. So Frank is based in London. He sat on uh, you know, Spotify's board. He sat on the board of Siri and sold Siri to Apple. Uh, and he was also involved in the company that invested uh, uh, in DeepMind that was later acquired by Google. And so he has a lot of experience uh, from, the, from, from the field as an investor. And my other partner, Bernard, based in, in San Francisco, Palo Alto, is very well plugged into the network there. Um, then I have two partners in Seoul um, that are Korean-Americans living there. Uh, Han Ju Lee is the son of a former CEO of, Mac, of Samsung Electronics, also founder of a very big hosting company called Hostway. And Jimmy Kim, who was a top executive at the, the Korean gaming company called Nexon. And then in Singapore, we have a, for, uh, another partner called uh, Jay McCarthy, who's a former uh, Managing Director for Asia, Morgan Stanley. And, and that's basically the team. Uh, that first fund, how big a fund was that? Yeah, so we, uh, we raised around $20 million. And the uh, thesis was basically we'll invest uh, two hundred fifty to maybe five, dollars $600,000, early stage, seed stage. And our initial focus was really, you know, going after, you know, fintech companies, um, uh, uh, digital health companies, uh, Internet of Things type of companies. Mm-hmm. We also did some gaming investments as well, um, and uh, some you know outliers. Outliers that have been lying a little, not exactly in that in that focus. But you know we are we are two and a half years later, something like that. We've invested in close to sixty companies, and so all over the world. So everything from you know, three, four companies in Sweden to Ireland, you know, to the UK, a bunch of them in Silicon Valley, Seoul, Korea, uh, Singapore, Japan, and, and our recent, uh, one of our recent investments, actually, yeah, less than a year ago, um, was just chosen as the first investment, personal investment for Mark Zuckerberg's uh, personal fund. Wow, wow. And it was announced last week. And so that was obviously a major win for us. We were early investor into that company. It's a company based called Andela. Um, helping to bring for, you know top, top top talent out of Africa and and, and uh, you know integrate and be uh, part of, of a seamless part of, of teams around the worldwide like really very well educated and, and uh, top coders and so on and so Mark uh, just announced last week that his first you know personal fund focusing on direct investments 
uh, this was the first company he would invest in. And so that's obviously a, a major, major win for us, and we're very happy about that's that. A, that's very impressive. Uh, all right, before we go, continue to talk about the fund, I want to talk a little about you, uh, Net. You are obviously uh, started your career and your life somewhere else in Scandinavia. Uh, tell us about your unique personal journey, how one gets from Sweden to uh, Israel. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I'm today, I'm 40, close to 48 years, and um, uh, I grew up in Sweden or divided my time between Sweden and Helsinki, where my father lives. My mother lives in Sweden. And um, I studied psychology and um, I started to get involved with Ericsson, Ericsson radio systems or mobile communications that are based in London, Sweden, and the main center, when Ericsson was really kind of at the top uh, of its career so far, you can say. And, um, but after a year there, I realized that my heart wasn't there uh, working these huge companies. Uh, I didn't really see and I wasn't really excited about it. So I basically sold everything I had. I moved to London. And the only thing I had was a room that I rented from a rabbi. <laughs> and, and I ended up going to his yeshiva for uh, four or five months, studying full time, and, and to figure out what I wanted to do next. Uh, and, you know, how things happen sometimes. I saw an ad in the newspaper. This was 1999 of a, a Norwegian-American wireless company starting out, and they were looking for somebody um in business in, in business development and uh you know with 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 you know if, if scandinavian would be you know uh, preferred um and so i landed that job and i got responsibility for the business development of this company it was called mobile the mobile uh, media company and we worked with the first smartphones before they even existed and <laughs> very advanced technology raised a lot of money totally crazy during the first uh, dot com wow. boom in, in in london and you know fancy offices at kensington square um, flying business class was uh, was a you know part of the policy of the company traveling policy company a, a totally crazy um, and and they went, obviously they burned all the money and the products didn't go anywhere um, and at the same time, I was traveling to Israel for, for Pesach, for Passover, for vacation, and uh, I was introduced to my future wife. And, um, and, you know, I basically got an offer I couldn't refuse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she said, I'm not moving anywhere. If you want to go anywhere, you come here. Uh, so three weeks later, uh, I proposed. We got married seven wow. months later, and I moved and made Aliyah to Israel in 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I started to get involved in the startup scene here. I worked for a couple of wireless companies and then got involved in, you know, in uh, an ICQ. And that was kind of my, yeah, that, that was my start here. And I was just during the second, the beginning of the second intifada. Um, and, and people were like telling me, you have a great job, well-paid job in London. Why would you even move? You know, uh, it's, it's a terrible situation in Israel and so on. But, you know, I've always been very... Um, you know, I've been a strong believer, and uh, you know, you 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 know, I I just went and I said that things will work out, and um, you know, so far it has it has you know it was obviously the right decision, and um, you know, very happy that that I took that decision. <laughs> well, it's quite quite <laughs> quite a journey, and uh, you're uh, if you invi- invest this quickly in companies as you propose, then then you're really uh, you move fast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of things in life is is about gut feeling, and sometimes our brain gets the, gets the better of us. And and uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, it, you state in your mission of, from your fund that you, you, 
to find talent that will help you grow. How do you find these special people? How do you find talent these days? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with that. The fact is, none of us actually really have a, you know, a venture capitalist background. We don't really see ourselves as that, obviously, in the sense that we are, we're all former entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs or involved in companies. So we were like the international guys many times in companies and were sent, like me, for Facebook, I was looking after international business development and was sent to explore you know, new markets and then figure out how to, to penetrate those markets and the right approach and so on. So, and even from my early days at Maxton, the Chinese browser company, I spent a lot of time you know, getting in touch with people who were uh, fans of the browser, who developed plugins for the browsers, and, and, and developed that network. And I think it's you know, just connect with entrepreneurs worldwide, regardless where they are. And um, so all of us have done that, been doing that and been keeping up, you know, whatever jobs we have transitioned to. And and um, I think that's really important because at the end of the day, these, these people come to you, at, you, know, they, you know, they trust you, they want your advice. Obviously, sometimes they want your money, <laughs> they want you to invest in them, of course. But more than that, sometimes, you know, and, and, a great entrepreneur has a lot of options, uh, and um, then it's a matter of what trust. Who do they think that can help them, uh, let's say, mm-hmm. build and scale a company, uh, either whether it's a company in Asia, for instance, Korea wants to enter the U.S., or U.S. company wanting into Asia, or a European company. So together, we have kind of unique uh, experiences of having done that. And so I think that a lot of them, they just gravitate towards us because they want our help and they, they want to tap into, you know, get our experience and feedback, maybe more than they actually want our, than they need our money. And we see that a lot from, us, from the companies coming out of the Silicon Valley where we, you know, we ask to be part of deals and, you know, these are entrepreneurs that don't really need our money. They can go, go to any investor there and, and, and um, they actually want us because, you know, they want to tap into a certain market and they trust us. So I think it's you know it's all you know like everything else in life I think it's a lot about personal relationships and nurturing them and 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 building trust and actually not not saying that you're just doing that you know on your website or your pitch but actually really showing it getting involved and we really get involved uh, in in with our companies and we help them uh, maybe more than maybe a traditional VC would do right and that and that seems to be what I see and hear. Uh a better formula for success than uh, sort of just putting your money in and uh, just sitting back on the board. Uh, I, I think that's it's a great way to approach your investments. Let's turn for a minute to Israel. Uh, are you optimistic about the Israeli market? I've been reading many articles that the quote-unquote golden age of startups is behind us. Uh, how do you see things? Well, you know, there are always, you know, people with with negative out, you know, views of of markets and so on. I think that things going up, they're going up and down. I think that I I always like the general trajectory. I think is the direction is positive and it's going upwards. And on the way, it's just like kind of like a stock market a little bit. Sometimes you have dramatic falls and be everybody panic. But if you look at the history of the stock market, you know that there is the growth curve is it's pointing in one direction. And so as long as you know that you have bumps on the way, uh, I think, you know, you will ride it out. I think that the biggest, I mean, when I left, I went, I left Israel for California for four years, uh, 2007, and came back 2011, then for Facebook. And at that time, I didn't feel there was anything exciting happening uh, in Israel in terms of, you know, the startup Mm -hmm. environment and and so on. I felt that there was, was a lot of experience lacking. And 
I was really surprised when I moved back in 2011 to see how the you know how the ecosystem had developed, and a lot of it is is due to a lot of Israelis being in Silicon Valley and bringing that knowledge back. Um, a lot of angel investors, a lot of Israelis starting companies, sold companies that suddenly are now investing themselves. So they invest directly in companies and they personally help them. And so I think that the gap between Silicon Valley and, and Israel has become very, very small. Um, and you often see that that many, many, many companies here prefer to, to bypass the, you know, the big uh, VCs in Israel because frankly, they don't need them anymore. They rather take this guy who was successful building a company and who has a great network in the valley, who they trust, than going to maybe a big heavy fund. Mm-hmm. And and so um, there is a lot of competition for good deals. Obviously, there's you know <laughs> there's a lot of noise too. And so you, uh, you know you need to see you know you need to know where, where to you know who, who to invest and who to connect with. But I think that uh, in general, I'm positive. I, I would say that one thing that hurts me a little bit is is that you know I moved back. On purpose. I mean, I, I knew that I was going back, and and I, I didn't. And I could have stayed in Silicon Valley forever, but I wanted to go back. And and um, on the on the other hand, when I meet companies here, sometimes the only thing I can say, listen, if you really want to succeed in your business, there is nothing like spending a couple of years in the valley, and what that does to your company. And so I kind of have like um, I, I have like a conflict a little bit with myself. The advice that I give professionally, I would say, you have to be there, or at least you have to have a strong presence. On the other hand, I want them to stay here and build the companies here. So it's it's a kind of a mixed bag there. Um, but um, so I think that in one way we lose talent. Uh, the grass is kind of greener. It's very attractive for a lot of Israelis to mm-hmm. and stay there, and the community there becomes bigger and bigger. And Israel is obviously very strong and, and very strongly felt in the valley. Uh, they are everywhere, uh, both as investors, angel investors, and executives. Um, but on the other hand, you know, look at what's happening here. We have Apple establishing the first, you know, development center outside of Cupertino in Israel. Uh, you know, Facebook has set up shop here, and there's 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 no lack of things happening here. I think the problem is, you know, enough finding just like you feel in the valley, there is not enough talent to fill the jobs that is needed. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm general positive. Um, and, and uh, you know, there will be bumps in the way, but uh, I'm, I'm positive. I'm positive on Israel in general. Yeah, it's interesting. My experience, uh, I've, I've gone a few times in the recent years to Silicon Valley. I've given some uh, seminars there, and I, I've often been struck by the fact that people come to me as, you know, Israelis, uh, at least the ones who are successful, uh, they seem to what I call live counter to the American dream because they succeed or they're on their way to success, but ultimately they do want to come back to Israel. It's not that they want to, you know, put down deep roots in the United States, which is is really counter to the, you know, the generation of my parents or grandparents uh, who came to the United States. So that that to me is an interesting phenomenon. Um, Speaking of the Valley, you did work for Facebook and you were there before they went public. What was that experience like? Uh, it was crazy. I mean, it was a very unique period. Um, I remember when I got it, and, 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 and you know how I ended up there was also kind of strange because I was traveling back and forth between the valley, Beijing, and Modin uh, for this Chinese browser company, and that's how I got to know 
one or two developers at Facebook. And so we actually created the first plugin to Facebook service, actually, without any permission, anything. We just did it, and they, they, and they, liked, they really liked it. This was early days. It was like 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, after three years, three and a half years max, and I felt that you know, I, you know, I was the only non-Chinese, and I was getting gray hair flying back like this. It was crazy. And I, feel, I felt that the company wasn't really ready to go global. Uh, it wanted to scale back more and focus on China. So, so I was looking for, for, for some, something else. I left Max and looked for something else. And that same week, I got an email from um, Jerry Jang, who was the founder of, um, of Yahoo, the co-founder right. of Yahoo, and who then became the CEO again for Yahoo. And he said, hey, listen, one of my board members said that I should talk to you. So I said, okay, so if Jerry wants to talk to me, I guess I'll fly over. So, and my wife was just pregnant and, you know, she was in the eighth month with our third kid. And this was just before the holidays here. And, and, and I said, you know what, I have a feeling that my, I might get offered something. And she said, well, you know, if you get to get an offer, you can't refuse. This time I'm prepared to go for a few years mm-hmm. as long as we come back. So with that in my mind, I said, okay, I have an open ticket to potentially, you know, accept something if it's interesting. And I was just there and uh, in the valley. Before I had a meeting with him, I kind of just mentioned to some guy at Facebook, hey, listen, I'm here. Do you want to take a cup of coffee? So he said, come over. And why are you here? Well, uh, you know, I got this invitation to, to meet Jerry, and so we'll see what it is. And then before I knew it, I, you know, lined up uh, interviews for everybody in, in, you know, relevant in the company, the management. And the last interview was with Mark. Mark Zuckerberg, who came in with you know flip flops, Adidas shorts, and a, and a gray T-shirt, <laughs> and um, and um, then I got an offer. I couldn't refuse. Of well, course. what was and, uh, he, I mean, what was he? he? Was all of probably what twenty one years old then, right, or something like that? Yeah, exactly. Right. He was. So, yeah, he was. He was very young. He was very. Uh, he was very young. It's a big difference between how is you know what you see now and what was then, like huge. Um, and the job was, you know, I was responsible for international business development. And uh, so I called my wife back and said, hey, listen, you know, start packing. <laughs> and so once uh, I met, went over for myself a couple of months, and my wife joined me three months later uh, when, uh, after, after the birth. Uh, and, and, uh, and the week I landed there, we, we announced, it was CTIA, I remember, it was 2007. And we just... Dustin Moskowitz, one of the co-founders of Facebook, was just on the stage and presenting the first BlackBerry app for 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 Facebook, and everybody was crazy. You know, all the telcos around the world were like, "Hey, you know, we want to work with Facebook." So they tell me, "Oh, he's Swedish. Oh, he worked for Ericsson. Oh, so you, you'll do mobile as well." Okay. So I had business international BD and, and mobile, and then on, on and I also got responsibility for some of the uh, early M and M and A jobs because we didn't have any function for that at that time. So. It was super crazy intensive, and so I remember going to the keynote the first day at CTIA, and I was driving in for the second day for meetings, and I was called back immediately to headquarters. Hey, we have a big hands, hands-on meeting, all hands meetings. Okay, what's up? What's going on? Well, Microsoft just invests, you know, in, in Facebook at a valuation of uh, 15 billion dollars. Hmm. And that was like so so surreal. All these things happened in one week, and and then obviously the press went crazy. And everybody wanted to talk to us, and I, my, my job was basically try to build, some, make some kind of sense of how, how we're going to grow internationally outside the English-speaking market. But we were such a small company; those, you know, we were like 250, 60, maybe something like that, spread out in different houses all over Palo Alto, uh, around University Street. And every day was like uh, new announcements, new products, or black backlashes in the media, or and, and then figuring out 
of course, how to make sense of all this. Nobody believed in the $15 billion valuation, so we were crazy. <laughs> and even ourselves were thinking about how did we get away with this? <laughs> you know, we, don't, we don't really know what's the, business, the right business model, how we're going to make this work, but you know, we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll raise the money and now we'll have to make it happen. Um, so it was crazy. I mean, it was a very intensive period, and um, you know, it, took, it took a long, hard toll on the family also. family moved over, and basically I was just on flights all the time, back and forth everywhere. Um, and I also specifically were, you know, reported to Mark on on everything related to China, and so and that was before the, the Summer Olympics, and so before we launched into the Chinese language. So there was a lot of uh, lot of activities going on, and uh, a lot of fast moves and changes every day. Uh, and uh, you know, I will say like those days, like one year was like a, <laughs> I don't know six six years of a dog's life. You know, it's like a dog's right, life. right, very intensive. And uh, but you know, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Well, you were probably at the most exciting company, and uh, not there's not that many companies they make movies about, and uh, it's it's really has become a it's a company that's just become a household word. So that's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. I remember when I, we were having our my, our tenth anniversary, my wife said she wanted to go and see this movie, the Facebook movie. <laughs> And I said, oh, well, I, don't, I want to see this movie. It doesn't really interest me. And I was like, it's probably just blown up and crazy. I said, okay, so we we went together over on our anniversary. We watched the movie, and it was it was very entertaining. And then, of course, everybody asked, hey, how was it really? So I said, you know what? Uh, a lot of some of those things happened much before I joined, or some year mm-hmm. before I joined. But you know, I know most of the characters there uh, well from working with them, and. You know, uh, there's always like this, there's no smoke without fire, but obviously it's a movie and it has to be dramatic and it has to be interesting. I said, reality is much more boring and, uh, you know, than, than, than uh, you know, it's a day, you know, hard, you know, it's typical, you know, office works and so on. It's not so glamorous as it looks, but, you know, it was a great movie. Great movie and uh, your timing was also great. So let me, we're getting toward the end of our time. I wanted to ask you, uh, up, up, going sure. back to the personal, one is the, uh, I'd say when you're not on a plane or talking to entrepreneurs or mentoring, uh, what do you do for fun? And then I'd like you just to talk to my listeners a little about your the good works you do with uh, United Hatzalah. Okay, yeah. So uh, I guess it's no secret anymore. I'm uh, when I'm not working, I spend my most of my time on a mountain bike. Uh, I am totally, uh, you know, obsessed with mountain biking. Uh, I bike, you know, 150 maybe kilometers a week. Wow. Uh, off-road, single trails. I bike wherever I land, wherever I can bike in the world. I try to figure, find somebody who bikes, or rent a bike, or you know, whatever, bring a bike, and and, and do that. It, it's uh, it's a great. Uh, first of all, I love the outdoors. I lo- love the adrenaline kick. Uh, it makes me, you know, it it makes you know let let me recharge and keep distance from the you know online life that most of us are spending you know our lives in today. We're living online most of the time and and. It's really important to you know feel and I, for me personally to feel connected to you know to the to nature to outdoors and and, and uh, feel alive and, and mountain biking makes me <laughs> feel very alive and um, it's also very healthy unless you crash what happens sometimes. right 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 <laughs> yeah but uh, that's that's my big passion um, and um, so so I try to do as much as possible and actually just launched a website dedicated for that called MTBVC it's a mountain biking VC. Well, I try to share some stories of, you know, uh, entrepreneurship and, and, and mountain biking and, uh, you know, try to meet entrepreneurs when I'm out biking uh, who are, who's willing to chat or pitch on a bike even or what have you. 
And so I just started that, and uh, so my ambition is to try to do some more of that uh, this year. Well, I'll I'll tell you a little confession. Last summer I was uh, with my family, some of my family in Switzerland. My daughters wanted to go mountain biking. I said, well, you know, I biked my whole life, but uh, I really don't know much. I grew up in in the city of Chicago. I then lived for many years in Jerusalem, which was not such a great city to bike in. so we went to rent bikes, and uh, in Switzerland they had a bike that was a mountain bike that had a battery. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, it was a hell of a lot of fun. And I know the pure, yeah. your purists, you may be one of them, feels it uh, doesn't count, but I really enjoyed myself. And you're still pedaling. It's not like you're just uh, riding a motorbike, but... Uh, yeah, no, the e-bikes are up and coming, and there's a lot of like there are people like for and against, and and uh, but you know eventually they're you know yeah why not? I prefer without, but uh, you know I I think I can see scenarios where you know you can enjoy having you know. Yeah, not having to climb that hill. Yeah, yeah. Tired, but so. you still get to the top of it, and and you get some satisfaction. So I I actually uh, would uh, maybe after this call you'll give me some uh, where where to look for one, but because I I really enjoy I, I, it. Absolutely, I'll be happy to happy to help you. Okay, with and then finally a little about your your charitable work. Yeah, so um, you know a couple of years ago I got uh, involved in this organization called United Hatzalah, which is uh, basically a fantastic. I usually call it the best startup in the world because it focuses on the most important thing in life, which is saving lives. And they have over 3,000 volunteers over Israel. They also have operations in the U.S. and New, New Jersey, I think, Los Angeles, in some South African countries, South American countries as well. And this is an amazing organization that saves thousands of lives every year, built up by volunteers, professionals, everything from falafel owners to to high tech executives to to you know to bike mechanics, what have you, even doctors uh, who have you know get a paramedic education uh, and uh, they become uh, volunteers and they uh, you know you see them running around on these small ambicycles. But in Israel, in many congested cities or where around the world. The fastest way to any point is on a motorbike, and so the ambulance won't reach there in time, and time is critical, for instance, if you suffer a heart attack and so forth. And so in Israel, the goal is to be there within 90 seconds, and like three minutes, and, and, and uh, they are around that area. And it, it's really amazing. They save thousands of lives every year from kids who choke, pet people who feel, who, you know, heart attacks and so on, and they, and, and they provide the help exactly when it's needed until... You know, just stabilize them until uh, an ambulance comes to the scene. So, I've seen some of that work close uh, many times, and and uh, we, we ourselves, we, we you know, we donated an ambicycle, and um, after you know two or three years, uh, Eli Eli Beer, the founder and the president of, of Hatzalah, asked me to to join join the board, and so now I'm trying to you know wherever I can help to spread good words, to get involved and to help donors. And, um, you know, bringing donors to donate to this important thing because, you know, the one who saves a life is like saving a whole world. And so right. what can be more important than that? Everything else is second. Right. Well, Nat, this has been a great conversation. Uh, I'm very, it's very exciting to hear about what you did in the past and what you're doing in the present and the future. Uh, if anyone wants to know more about Spark Labs Global Ventures, how can they find out about it? Uh, well, it's uh, either just uh, come to sparklabsglobal.com, uh, that's our website, um, or uh, drop me an email, that's net, N-E-T, at sparklabsglobal.com, 
or find me on Twitter at at net. That's my handle. Actually. All right. Thank you. Thank you again very much. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.pstein.com or look for Philip Stein and Associates on Facebook and LinkedIn. 